Okay, Darren, I'm going to tell you a bit of an old story, a bit of a new story um, about prediction. So this is, this is Oedipus, in case you've come across this fellow. Um, uh, an oracle tells his father, uh, King Laius, that uh, his son is going to kill him. So King Laius, being uh, the sharp fellow that he is, has his, his son's heels punctured and bound together. Uh, which is apparently what Oedipus means. Like, uh, what is it, like, punctured, swollen foot. Um, ah, useful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then sends him off with, like, an underling to leave him on a mountain to die. Uh, that underling instead gives him to a shepherd. That shepherd gives him to either... There's either one other shepherd or give him directly to another king. That king raises him. Uh, this, of course, would be King Polybus and Queen Merope. Merope? Of Merope. course. Um, and then Oedipus, when he grows up, finds out from another oracle he's going to kill his father. He thinks he's going to kill King Polybus. Leaves, ends up killing his own father, does a whole thing with the Sphinx, uh, saves the city, marries his mother, has uh, several children, four uh, to be exact, and then finds out about it later uh, through a series of unfortunate events, pierces his own eyes, and... Spoiler. Yeah, oops. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's listening who hasn't read uh, Oedipus yet um, yeah. in the, in the 3,000 years since it's been written. But so anyway, part of part, I, I think people always get this story slightly wrong. Um, and I think possibly because of Freud's reading of it, this whole idea of the Oedipal complex, we inevitably want to marry our mothers and kill our fathers, this kind of thing. Um, what I find really interesting about it is prediction. Both our need for prediction, our desire for it from these oracles, and then our reaction to it. Uh, my sense is, technologically, this is really important to us right now because we live in a predictive, data-driven society. So my question is, are we going to be Oedipus? This is Darian Bates. This is Toby Wilson Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots the podcast where we talk about how we make our technology and how our technology makes us. Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, is are we, as in maybe human society, is that are we, or are we just talking about American society? Are we talking about literally you and me? Are we going to be Oedipus? Because our father is still living. Yeah. Ew. Gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, mom. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I didn't know I could kill him, but ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I could definitely <laughs> kill dad. <laughs> <laughs> But just kidding. Love you, Dad. Um, so anyway, no, well, I, I guess maybe we could layer this a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in this sort of first world phenomena. We now think about tax plans or health plan changes right. or fantasy football and sports analytics and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of these things. M maybe third world nations are not doing as much of this, although I, I would imagine that globally this is massively, massively effective. Uh, something like climate change seems like it's really based on predictive analytics, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So your question is, I guess, is are we as a, let's say, let's go all the way up to species, going to end up being um, Oedipus, meaning that as we kind of read these 
predictions, these oracular predictions that we're creating for ourselves, increasingly creating for ourselves and even systematizing into our society, that um, not only are we not averting disaster, but we are in fact um, walking right into it. Oh yeah, and if, that, you, uh, if you have read the Theban trilogy, um, which is worth saying. <laughs> Just yet last week, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Antigone being the sort of cli- climax of this, right? That, like, not only are, do things end up pretty bad for King Laius and Queen Jocasta, uh, who get uh, alternately killed and loved <laughs> by their son, uh, Oedipus, but, like, things go terribly wrong for Oedipus's sons. I mean, they don't sound like the brightest bunch after Oedipus dies. They decide they're going to take turns ruling the kingdom. And then after year mm-hmm. one, that one's like, uh, no. And then they get in the war. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nice. They needed, like, a George Washington side of yeah. you know, seed power gracefully kind of thing. And that was not, um, I guess, traditional in Greek culture. Well, they probably should have piloted it by, like, doing a podcast together, you know, or something like that. <laughs> exactly. We certainly worked out our kinks. Um, <laughs> but then everyone screwed. Like, even even Creon, who's Jocasta's brother, who takes over after the sons kill each other and Oedipus is dead. And he's like, okay, we've got to lock Antigone away for violating our laws. The law is important. It's the only way we're going to get things back together after all this mother-loving. Um <laughs> That is, I've always thought that that is actually the way to kind of recover from a mother-loving debauch. Exactly. It's like his son falls in love with, like, Antigone, and then she commits suicide, and then he commits suicide, and then Creon's wife commits suicide. And you're like, Creon didn't even go to an oracle. (laughs) (laughs) But he's nonetheless, nonetheless, he is star-crossed just simply by the fact that this entire series of events, these, these, like, all of this has been thrown into... um, kind of motion by this by this i mean what you're saying is perhaps a a belief in the oracle or a a belief that one needs to act upon it or simply being shown the future then becomes you're now driven um uh kind of undeniably or or i guess you you know without any ability to restrain yourself towards that very future that has been destined for you Right. This is exactly right. That like okay. uh, that there's some kind of speculative bias whereby we predict the future or hear a prediction of the future and then the create the future that is predicted within that model. Right. And are we doing that now? Yeah. Uh, this right. seems dangerous to me. <laughs> well, barring that 10-minute introduction to um, <laughs> Oedipus. <laughs> this um, is salacious stuff, man. <laughs> exactly. People watch, people I mean, watch really. Game of Thrones. They're gonna love this. <laughs> That's a good point. Way to way to bring in our season two. By the way, this is our season two uh, opener. So I guess we're starting off with the sex and the violence. Yeah, um, yeah. For, uh, we got exactly. tons tons of feedback last year. They're like, we need more incest. We need more violence. <laughs> we need more infanticide. Nice. Nice, nice. Well, the, you get all of that with the uh, with the Greeks. So, so um, well, so welcome back. I for the for context, we are we are back for our second season. This is uh, we took a break off, um, kind of in the uh, uh, holiday times to, um, and, and actually, it's not so much the holiday times that we took the break off for. It's the fact that you're on the academic schedule, and when you don't have office hours is when we can't do this podcast yeah so. yeah that's exactly right that when, <laughs> like, when i when i'm I not working work, there's no way i can find time right exactly my full-time job is a a caregiver to a five three and one year old 
<laughs> exactly. It's when you can get free by going off to work that you can yeah. have time to do these shenanigans. <laughs> hey, man, want to go out and, and publish some articles in a podcast, man? Oh, that sounds so relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yes. Um, so, uh, okay, we're, we're, we are literally approaching 10 minutes. Tell me what predictive analytics are. Right. Well, so I, I, I mean, thanks for, for, for kind of pushing me into my own context segment, but <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just to give you just a little context on what, what actually is predictive in our society these days, um, let me just give you kind of three quick points on, on what, what does prediction mean now from a systematic perspective. Um, I'm actually not going to give you the history on the Oracle, which I thought you last season in my in my wanton disregard of time i would just go in and and uh, give you the whole um history of prediction from the oracle onward um actually i'll just give you kind of the kind of a quick context for what really is predictive analytics now so the first thing to point out is that actually predictive analysis um kind of in concept and even even using data um or informational data as we now sort of think of it as you know numbers and and historical um, records. It's nothing new. In fact, I think the I did a. This is based entirely upon a Google search, so um, you know, as accurate as we can possibly be. The um, really that kind of the origin of of what we think of as now as kind of predictive decision science based upon data, kind of can be traced all the way back to the, like the late um, 17th century, uh, with essentially with the insurance industry, with the kind of the birth of the insurance industry under like kind of Lloyd's of London and the British shipping. Um, Kind of investment shipping industry, um, well, and, and it must, in some ways, go even farther back. I mean, there's like the Antikythera machine, which was like, a, right. you know, like a, a a sort of mechanism that predicted solar, like solar and star movements that the Greeks made way back when. Right, but I, I, I I'm looking more for kind of a an analog in in kind of predictions around things that are happening in kind of what I would say is kind of a quotidian world around us, right? right. Um, yes, I do recognize that we do have to deal with the movement of the spheres, but as far as um, kind of figuring out whether you should take this decision or this decision um, in your daily life um, and actually using what we now think of as kind of the dependable characteristics or the dependable um, assets of data to be able to do it, you're really seeing that started around kind of British shipping. Um, hmm. And kind of the investments that would go into that, and then whether you, you know, then when you're insuring those shipments, kind of what what data they're using to back that up. Yeah, which and makes really sense. See kind of, it, it, you both have a kind of high risk proposition, but also a very large sample size of data to start working with. Precisely, precisely. Now, of course, the ability to process that data in any kind of meaningful way. To be fair, you have months of reviewing um, data before you have to come up with any kind of predictive. Uh, uh, conclusions, given the fact that it takes a while for a ship to sail, but nonetheless, they, it's the idea of even of being able to compute it at at kind of more powerful or powerful enough speeds to be able to kind of really being using that in an actionable way on a daily basis. Um, that really doesn't come about till much later, and that really is the difference in what's happened now. Uh, and now, we sort of, we see um, predictive analytics being used regularly is that it actually isn't the statistical science that has advanced. It's just the processing power to be able to run that, those statistics really quickly. There's nothing that's being done now in terms of things like linear regressions and logis uh, logistical regressions and things like that, that we use to predict things that wasn't possible in the 1970s and 1960s, um, 
even much earlier. Um, but the ability to do it, you know, within minutes or even within seconds to be able to make kind of in the moment decisions mm-hmm. and then the ability to kind of pull in that data from a variety of sources in a very structured way. If you mm-hmm. think about it, if you don't have the Internet, you don't get a lot of this kind of day to day, minute by minute, second by second data on what people are doing. Well, and, and, and that, that do- also seems part of just like how much passive tracking of personal activity there is now. Exactly. Exactly. So so that's the, sort of the second point. Um, and then the third point is that predictions are, are no longer even being made in this kind of um, what I would sort of think of as a, as a level one type prediction, which is, you know, somebody comes up with a belief that, you know, or a, a, a model that says, well, if this happens at this level and this happens at this level, this thing is likely to come out. You're dealing much more with kind of these neural networks and machine learning where even the um, even the models themselves are being changed um, to make the predictions more accurate towards things that are happening um, kind of on the ground. And so that's that also in, in some weird way, we get ourselves back to this world in which we're actually looking at a machine that is inscrutable to us from the outside, much like a, they were asking the oracle to speak to the gods and um, and hoping that it'll give us an answer that we are never going to entirely be able to understand how it got it. We'll just believe that somehow it's 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 truthy in what it tells us. That This doesn't make me feel better about my initial question. Right. <laughs> well, I, I haven't attempted yet to answer whether whether I think we are heading towards um, uh, killing our parents or at least our fathers. Um, but in terms of kind of where we are, at least that's that's what's going on. I think, you know, to kind of unpack, I think one, one of your questions is, is whether whether the act of predicting something allows us. I mean, I think we really believe, excuse me, while I restate this uh, thought differently. I think we really believe that somehow if we can predict something, we can avoid it. Right. Like, I mean, I think that's 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 our real belief in kind of the rational human mind is that if we can know that it's coming, uh, we can step aside and dodge that bullet. And that in some ways is, you know, there's a whole genre of literary and and cinematic fiction that's all about this. Right. That, That your predictions and your knowing can save you. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, yeah, Back to the Future 2 or Donnie Darko. Although, I mean, the mixed messages on both of those ones. This idea that uh, having some knowledge of the past or of the future can allow you to manipulate your own sort of vulnerability uh, to, I don't know, chance, chaos, fate, whatever. Absolutely. Well, I, I do love that you referenced two of the most well-known uh, reference points, Donnie Darko and Back to the Future 2. I like that you didn't even <laughs> choose like Back to the Future 1. Right. Classic. Back to the Future 2. The, <laughs> in, the, in the whole legacy of, uh, well, because of contemporary it, fiction. And, and while Back to the Future 1 certainly has more meaningfully Oedipal overtones than Back to the Future 2. <laughs> the uh, literal Oedipal overtones. Yes. Yeah, yeah. His mom's trying to get with him. Um, in, in Back to the Future 2, like, that's like the big subplot is that you can go to the past right. and like buy stocks and be rich in the future, this sort of thing. Right. I actually, I feel like Back to the Future 2 is like a fever dream that I thought was part of Back to the Future 1. <laughs> well, um. wait until you see Gremlins 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe that's Gremlins 3. I'm not sure. I, I feel like um, I have not partaken in a lot of this kind of like early 80s, mid 80s nostalgia that I like I haven't watched Stranger Things yet. And I feel like um, that is like 
you know, banking on that space. And it's not like I didn't live through that time period. Although, given the fact that we didn't have a TV until the age of, I don't know, until I was like 10 or 11, I feel like I missed out on some of those true zeitgeist uh, effects that I now still leave me kind of clueless at parties sometimes. Yeah, and then we had a TV briefly, and then we went off to Slovenia and didn't have a TV again. And then that was even weirder coming back and like grunge had happened. Right, grunge had happened and we were still getting like Ace of Bass. It was was like, I guess Ace of Bass is cool, right? And they're like, you know, Nirvana had hit Bush. Um, Anyway, we were... Oh. We're kind of deviating all over the place. But I, I actually think one of the interesting, um, I think, questions I have about, uh, maybe less about kind of Greek tragedy and more about whether knowing the future or whether having a, a reasonable um, a reasonable system to predict the future can actually help us kind of get away from it or, or make, make, it different, um, make it different than where, than where it seems to be going. And I think... One of the really interesting points that you've brought up in the past when we've talked has been about this question of can predicting um, climate change like get us to do anything about it? And I think that's that's a fascinating question because um, it, there really isn't much debate about the science of of kind of climate change prediction. The debate is in degree, not in in kind. I think. And just to give you like a a, a couple little things to that that kind of noodle around in my head, um, I know one of the things is that there was this uh, extreme overfocus on carbon dioxide for a period of time, when in fact things like nitrogen and a a set of other environmental concerns are as if not more concerning. And so this idea that like or methane, right. Right, that like you you get obsessed with your carbon footprint, you predict carbon levels, you look at this sort of thing, and like you're actually you're predicting the wrong thing, you know, or people mm-hmm. are focusing on the wrong. And I think about this with something like sports, where it's like you'll predict a certain kind of athlete with a certain kind of I don't know forty yard dash time will be effective. You don't draft the other athletes, and then lo and behold, the ones with the good time are effective, but they're the only ones who were drafted. So you've already decided what set of people are going to have the chance for success in predicting who would be successful. Hmm. That, like, That's interesting. I'm trying to... Sorry, go on. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, it, it strikes me that this this gets at part of the stickiness of the Oedipus myth that, like, it's not that he didn't believe the Oracle. He did entirely. Right. He totally thought his son would kill him uh, and acted on it in the, the most uh, aggressive and immediate way he could. Right. And, and yet... That he believes the oracle, wouldn't that, like, make him resign? Like, acting against his son, wouldn't that show that he doesn't believe the oracle? Or he does believe the oracle, but only insofar as the oracle's, like, projected a certain future, which now he has the possibility. Why did he want the prediction in the first place if the only thing he was going to do was... Right? Like, I don't know. Right. Well, that's... I mean, I think that's the real tension in any kind of predictive um, process or system, Right. Like the idea that the thing that you're trying to predict, and I find myself in this conversation with people fairly regularly on the on a very practical side when we're talking about actually applying kind of predictive data to their um, on the business side, and you know we we found ourselves recently with a with a project where we were tr- we were predicting um, who was likely who kind of in there in a data set that they had was likely to take a certain action, and then we were prescribing a set of um, kind of 
engagements, kind of communication, like basically emails. They would receive an email to, to kind of encourage them to take this action. And it actually, it kind of precipitated a bit of a conversation, which is like, well, if they're likely to take the action, do we really need to set up a set of emails to encourage them to take that action? In fact, if, you've, if your data is showing that they're on their way to doing something, why should we act at all on that? Yeah, there's a right? kind of it's, chicken and egg problem in there. Right, exactly. And yet, what they find, and, and then the, the great thing about, um, you know, actually applied science in this case, is that they find that when you, when you put these, when you actually act on these systems, you do, in fact, or act on these predictions and act on this, these findings, you do, in fact, alter it. You do, in fact, things do, in fact, improve. The question whether that happened because of because you took action on those predictions or just because you measured it and I mean it's 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 hard to say. I mean it's like again the future is one of those things that we increasingly want to say that we can we can chart. And yet at the same time we can't chart it until it's become the past. And at right. that point we are kind of validated by any of the decisions that we've made or or I mean we're not validated, although we have every ability to make our decisions look like they were validatable. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that troubles me a little bit, where it's sort of like, up until now, no no son has killed his father, the king, and slept with his mother. But having now predicted this, we have now changed the state of play such that now, sons given X, Y, and Z circumstances, because of the entrance of prediction into the system, hmm. will now kill their father, right? Like... That it, it seems like using that, that old sample size that was prediction-free because you were mm. gathering data to make a prediction is changed by the act of incorporating a prediction into the sample size itself, which is forever after incorporated in it. Right. No, I, I hear your point. I guess... I think I made hmm. the same point twice. Uh, and it, it, no, but you've done, it, you've, you've done it deftly both times. No, I feel <laughs> like the... I mean, the, the, the question I have... I mean, really gets to this. I mean, the argument I would make on, on the other side, which is just using climate change as I think one of the most predicted things that you kind of hear about. And at the same time, one of the places where I think prediction is maybe most useful, because one of the arguments about, you know, human beings and one of the limitations of human beings um, kind of thought process or the, the way that humans think is that they are they are really geared towards short termism. Right. Hmm. Which I think anytime I hear humans get like criticized for kind of short term thinking, I'm like, you, know, you look at humans, wait till you see chimpanzees. They really think short term. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like human beings, it's like whenever we criticize humans, it's like, it's like Americans criticize themselves for being so like, we're, oh, we're so, we just, we don't really love life. We're, we're, the French really take vacations. And it's like, like we criticize human beings in that same sort of mindset of like, oh, we're so limited as species. And it's like, you know, when you really come to kind of short-term thinking, human beings are probably the longest-term thinking of any species that exists, at yeah, least on this planet. Like, like, there's no other species that even thinks beyond, like, the next meal. Somewhere between chimpanzees and the French. Got it. Right, exactly. That was my point. Chimpanzees <laughs> and the French. Very similar. We are... We, um, no, but the, the idea that, like human beings are always going to be biased towards sort of short term and, and there's a there's a 
there's a sociological term for this or a psychological term, one of those two. Um, anthropological, <laughs> anthro-sociological terms, right? They're the same discipline. I know you work in a university. We group them all together as in the unprofitable fields. Oh, man, um, we, are, we are bringing the legitimacy to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, no, but there's, there's kind of this idea that, that we can't perceive, we can't really make decisions based upon any kind of, um, kind of any kind of, um, when, when an effect is delayed so far out, we can't really make decisions on it. Like, right? like and, retirement investment. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, it's actually, that's actually fairly true, actually. But, but actually, maybe we'll let's use retirement investment and climate change in a similar way, which is we know we're going to retire. And at this point, from a statistical perspective, at least, we also know that the climate is changing and that we're probably causing it, right? Like, there's, there's a, a substantial portion of this country that doesn't... Um, say they believe that, but I think for the most part, they don't believe it simply to be ornery at this point. Um, but the idea is that we can't act on climate change, that humanity can't act on climate change because the effects are too slowly felt. That by the time the effects are upon us, we will we, we already have done everything that we would have done to create them, and there is there's no reacting to it. And um, at that point, it's already, we're already too far gone, as they said. Um, Right. And we've, ar- we've already placed the metaphorical baby on the metaphorical mountain. Exactly. Exactly. To be to be um, we- weird and Greek about it. Yeah. Um, the, and and the point about predictive science or predictive data science in particular is that you're trying to make that future immediate and visceral enough that you can act upon it without that actually being manifest yet. Right. That our that you can make a decision and that, that, that a society as a whole can make decisions that will steer them away from that outcome. And, and while I understand conceptually, I'm saying exactly what Oedipus is unable to do or Oedipus's father is unable to do from a practical perspective, the only way I feel like we are able to maybe alter our decision-making from where as a society we appear to be going is by understand is by having this level of predictiveness in our kind of cultural dialogue. This is coming. We should do something, and we are doing things right from a very practical perspective. While there seems to be a, a large contingent of people that seem to be rejecting this wholeheartedly, there is a much larger contingent of the whole world that appears to be taking some level of action on it. And in a very practical way, we are in fact developing alternative technologies that don't have a carbon footprint or whatever right like um so that was a that was a a long rant there but my point is is that it's really nice to say it's really kind of fun to say the oracle predicts something you then can't escape that prediction you're destined to end up in the same place it doesn't seem like that our prediction on things like um kind of large-scale anthropomorphic change to this country is that's not the right term (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, large-scale um, human-caused chain to this country is right. really gonna that that we might be able to avoid it, but the only way we will is by predicting it. Right, and you know, we, like our our mothers are all good-looking anyway. Uh, <laughs> exactly, is what you're saying. 
Well, you know, yeah, right, well, exactly. It's, it's, it's Embrace being, look, he ends up king, okay? That's all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> he's king, he's got four kids. Yeah, exactly, that's not such a bad life. His beautiful older wife, it's uh, <laughs> exactly not so bad. He had a good run. <laughs> right, exactly. He could have ended up as a shepherd. <laughs> Um, well, and, and so maybe, um, I talked about nesting this at the beginning. Let's take this down a level. So I type text messages into my cell phone. My cell phone tells me, uh, what's the most likely word I'm going to say next. I right. go on Amazon. Amazon tries to tell me what's the thing that I'm going to be purchasing next. I go on Facebook. Facebook tries to show me, right? Like there, there seems like beyond a sort of, uh, large, kind of cry to action of something like climate change, it also seems like this particular form, like when we put the word smart in things, this seems to be one of the things we right. mean by it, that it's going to just going to predict our desires or, you know, and, and offer uh, like a next step to us that'll make it easy, easier for us to shortcut some activity that used to take longer. Um, right. But that also right. guides our activity in a certain way. Right, absolutely. Well, and I think it's it's worth pointing out kind of where predictive technologies are really being used. Um, you know, you have um, anything from, I mean, it's being used in like child protective services. It's being used in um, cross-selling marketing, which obviously that's kind of what you're talking about in terms of on Amazon, but also used more even at an quote enterprise level at, in terms of kind of um, selling business systems as well. Um, but it's also used in fraud detection. Does somebody look like they they are themselves based upon their, you know, or do you predict that this person is actually going to be the person that they say they are? Um, it's using, it obviously, it's using underwriting. Um, it's also used in sort of um, investment portfolio management, things like that. So these are all places where these kinds of predictive systems are being used, um, along with just trying to tell you if you liked that, you might also like this. Um, and I, I guess the... My question is, 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 are they kind of self-fulfilling predictions? Like, do you buy that thing that Amazon recommends because Amazon recommended it? Or is Amazon recommending it because you're likely to buy it? I don't know, man. This is freaking me out. Um, <laughs> right. We probably should have another drink and we'll, uh, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, you know, uh, I, I don't buy much of anything. Um, <laughs> that's a fair point. You, you're an adjunct professor. Well, I, I'm not. I'm a lecturer. Um, oh, that's a good point. But, but, um, not. You know, I'm not rolling in that Amazon buy products money. So <laughs> I'm not. I'm not rolling in that sweet e-commerce world. So maybe um, a refined version of this is uh, there. There are versions of this that make me feel, uh, you know, Donnie Darko grandfather paradox. You know, like uh, insofar as your activity is predicted you can only try to act against a prediction. You're acting against the prediction. It's the thing that fulfills the prediction. If you don't act against it, then it's already been predicted, right? Like th th there's right. a version of this that can make one feel crazy and paranoid. It's sounding from, from some of your uh, contextualization that that's not really what's going on at the moment. Well, it's interesting. I was listening to Freakonomics had a podcast from a while back with um this this guy uh, philip tetlock who teaches at um wharton um school of business you know the Pennsylvania university of pennsylvania's school of business and he has a book expert political judgment and he was um he put together a team for um the the 
Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, which is IARPA, which is kind of based on that DARPA, the Defense uh, Projects um, thing from a while back. And and the whole point was, was there was this kind of forecasting um, competition. So what they would do is they'd, you'd put together a team and then they would um, kind of ask you to forecast things like... Um, what is the likelihood that um, Greek, uh, Greece is going to, you know, uh, remove itself from, from the European Union or, or remove itself from the Euro, right? Or, or, you know, they would predict kind of what is the likelihood that next year some African um, dictator is still going to be in power. And, and then they would, they would predict these things and then they would see how close they got to being true and they would compete over. And so this was, I think the project ran over, the competition ran over five years. And, um, and, and Tetlock's team was, um, I think he, he was fairly modest about it on the podcast, but apparently he's, he, they, they were very successful there. They, they now somehow lay claim to the mantle of super forecasters. They um, were, sure they were oracular. They were oracular in their forecasting ability. I'm not sure super forecaster comes with like a comma SF at the end of your name, but nonetheless, they, they, <laughs> they, uh, um, we're fairly successful in this regard. And one of the things that he said that I thought was very interesting when asked how to be like a, a super forecaster, which is what the, the economics podcast was about, was, you know, basically avoid any perception that you have inside knowledge and and would act on that. Like things that things that we think of as kind of this um, kind of court politics of various things or like, oh, you know, I've worked in this area and I have this kind of unique inside knowledge on this area, so I'm going to be able to predict this in some sort of way. So that, that generally doesn't work. What, what does work is, you know, using the case of this kind of African dictator, um, you know, you like, well, what is the, what is the, um, the average tenure of a African dictator in, in sub-Saharan African countries that were, you know, they had enough of these kind of shared characteristics. Maybe they're all originally British and kind of colonial rule or something like that. But you can find enough shared characteristics and then say, well, you know, the average 10 year tends to be about, about 12 years. And, you know, they're only he's only four years in and he's he's 35. He's not 72. And you can kind of put together this and it's like, actually, that tends to be the most predictive. Those tend to be more accurate, much more accurate than someone says, ah, but I, you know, I. I know the guy who's his right hand guy, and you know I've heard the the whisperings, and he's out. You know that yeah. generally well, this, doesn't end up. This being is a the good case. point. Like in in Oedipus, and the 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 following, uh, you know, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus at Colonus, and Antigone, which are the Sophocles plays, but I mean, there's also Pindar and Aeschylus and Euripides, and, and you mean Homer references it. So it, it's a it's a pretty diffuse in, in the way that there's so many Spider Mans. Um, right. I was going to say it's like I believe that's called creating a universe. Yeah, exactly right. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with Oedipus this time. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. He'll come together with Captain America. It'll be amazing. Yeah, I liked his mom more in the last one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, the new casting decisions. Um, you know, feel right. like they're... But it, right. it's worth saying that uh, although tragedy strikes pretty much everybody in Thebes, and certainly everybody in his immediate family, uh, the Oracle seems to do just fine. Right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> being being an no, outside no one really accuses the oracle of uh of uh of, of either misreading it or causing it right like she's she's somehow an objective she's at an objective distance right which it's worth saying doesn't make things better for anyone like and right. maybe maybe that's like a question hidden inside my last three questions is sort of 
okay. Um, so we can start predicting things pretty well. And mm-hmm. there's a sense that, that intimacy and uh, intimate knowledge is the inverse of kind of accurate modeling for prediction. Does that, does that, I mean, and, and you, you said with climate change that seemed positive. But I guess it's it's too early to ask if this is apocalypse or utopia. But I guess, I suppose that is the question I'm asking at the moment. No, maybe that's, maybe we can we can string some some back and forth into that section. But yeah, right, apocalypse or no, let's, or let's, utopia. Right. No, absolutely. In fact, this seems the this seems the place to do. It. So obviously. So, Utopia being uh, averting climate change and, uh, you know, full employment and, you know, getting the Amazon products that we want the instant that we want them. And Apocalypse uh, being we kill some father figures and sleep with some mommy figures and the end of the world happens. I like that they're figures. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> that's the extent of that you're not allowed for like metaphor to enter this. It's like <laughs> father figures. Right. Um, right. I, I mean, I wanted to extend it out to the kind of uh, grand social level that, right. you know, I don't know, like the, the father of the country. I don't know. Gonna, what I, <laughs> that's not going anywhere with that one. Nice. So, huh. I mean, I, I think uh, kind of the apocalypse utopia world, I'm going to have to, I, and I don't think this is going to come as a shock to anyone who, who has listened to this or knows me. I'm going to have to put my eggs in the, in the it is certainly closer to utopia. And I, I'm actually going to have to put this, um, I'm going to put this all the way at a nine. And only because what? a 10 seems so... I, this yeah. is almost utopia. Yeah, this is, no, 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 no. I'm saying it is leading us towards it. This is our slippery slope upwards. What, yeah. what goes upwards whoa, 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 on the slippery whoa, whoa, whoa. slope? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a ski jump. <laughs> the bottom. I'm of sure the landing jump. will be beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I look. I I actually think this is. And again, I've I've I'm putting a fair amount of my my life's energy into into working in the predictive uh, data sciences. So I. I, it would be weird for me to come down on this is leading us into the abyss, but I, I really believe that that as a I would say that as a as a culture, as a human culture, not as a um, more localized culture than that, but as a human culture, as a as a species in general, we are faced with some inherent limitations um, in the ability to perceive kind of what's coming. And as a result, our ability to act upon that and modify our behavior to 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 improve ourselves, right? Like if you look at the if you look at the or improve our chances for survival, excuse me. If if you look at the um, the the boom bust cycle for populations, you know, I remember seeing this in biology. I think in ninth grade biology, with the the idea of kind of this this wolf deer population. Have you ever seen those? Um, those yeah like carrying carrying capacity and that kind of stuff right exactly you know you have this explosion of deer populations and the wolf population um expands to because the deer population and then the deer population ultimately hits a hits a threshold and it drops off and then the wolf population follows right they're all stuck in these kind of population cycles um that they can't kind of get beyond and the human and human species has not hit that uh carrying capacity of the world yet um because we keep modifying the um, the resources of our environment to be able to extend beyond that. 
And I think you can either believe, like the Greeks did, that there's a fair, there's kind of an inescapable quality to um, kind of the human condition. Or you can believe um, that I think kind of American culture is kind of in the opposite direction, that, that somehow everything is escapable. That this kind of we're these intense optimists and progressives that believe that even even the most regressive of Americans are intensely progressive when it comes to kind of what we believe can be accomplished, right. um, just by you know just by sheer uh, sheer ingenuity and human spirit, right? And I I have to fall on that side of it. I believe that 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 predictive knowledge and being able to be smarter and smarter about knowing things that are likely to happen and modifying our behavior accordingly is the way that we kind of transcend. And that I, I, I don't think we end up in this cycle of, of kind of Greek tragedy um, by using this. Yeah, man, transcendence and everything. That's, exactly. Uh, that, is, that is the American philosophy. Uh, exactly. Transcendentalism, this sort of thing. Oh, fundamentally, I think Wordsworth um, and and Elon Musk are just kindred spirits. Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, oof, man, I, f- I feel bad picking a lower number than nine now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I like I'm sticking my hand in your birthday cake or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know that you ever did that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, weird. I mean, I'm not gonna go into to random. I just remember we had we had friends over at some point, and the younger brother went into my room and locked the door and smashed all my GI Joes randomly. Uh, <laughs> some kind of family feud internal to them. Was, I don't think we had them over again after that. It was very weird. I feel like your your scores are going down as we speak in terms of like <laughs> just you're like I just feel less optimistic about human capacity in yeah. general after my like, GHOs are smashed. Let me let me describe some more human depravity to you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now what can we do? Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a page from your book a, a little while back and, and you know, this this may be I've just been reading too much Greek tragedy or it may be I just don't fully understand the kind of capacity of these things. I'm going to say a five. Like, I actually don't know if this changes much. Um, Mm -hmm. In part because uh, there's a part of me that feels like it's all Billy Bean. Like, there's this sort of market inefficiency wherein large amounts of sort of untainted predictive information can be farmed to produce predictions. But I'm really uh, of the mind that once prediction becomes normative it kind of ruins the samples that it's using for prediction because those samples are like pre-predictive samples and a sample Mm. taken from information that is now also incorporating in the same way the athletics haven't been successful again since everyone kind of figured out sabermetrics and and predictive forecasting. The Orlando Magic use... (laughs) When I... doing Doing a little bit of kind of clicking around for this episode, I was looking up predictive analytics and the site was like, the Orlando Magic used predictive analytics for everything. Every part of their organ... <laughs> I was like, they're really bad. They're uh, not bad. They have, they've got a shot this year. No, I mean, not a shot at, at the winning the champions. <laughs> no, I haven't, They're like actually. 12 and 27. Oh, uh, yeah, that's not, so, they, that's not so hot, is it? They had a winning streak at the beginning of the year when Aaron Gordon suddenly developed a three-point shot. Oh, yeah, but but, but that's that's unfair. I mean, the, the, as I recall, uh, I think I watched their Christmas game, and as I recall, they um, 
I think they've had like every single person injured. I don't think that's particular. I don't think you can lay that. I mean, you can lay it at the face, well, but I don't guess, know that you can lay it at Guess they should have predicted that. The Golden State Warriors seem to have predicted injury pretty well. <laughs> well, I have to say, yes, predicting injury is one thing. Predicting that Kevin Durant is good, I think, does not, <laughs> does not earn anybody an MS. Well, they were good. They they predicted. This is all to say there 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 is a moment I think when prediction is incredibly incredibly effective. Right. Um, that it exploits an inefficiency, it takes up a massive body of recorded information, and then processes a pro- like a prediction from that. Um, right, but, but that's a little bit like saying there was a moment when driving a car made you so much faster than people, and now everyone seems to drive at the same speed of cars. It doesn't mean that if you stop driving a car, like you're suddenly going to keep up with people. It's, I mean, there is absolutely an arms race in predictive analytics. That is, you see that in business everywhere, that there is market inefficiency that analytics are helping people um, take advantage of, right? People, like companies are able to exploit this market inefficiency and get to market to people faster, find people that weren't previously being marketed to, um, talk to people before they end up kind of becoming dissatisfied and, and respond to them quicker. Um, upsell people who have a higher capacity to purchase rather than just letting them continue to exist on their records as kind of this one threshold of, or this one type of customer. So that's, that's absolutely the case. It doesn't mean that giving it up, that like the athletics don't become better by not using. No, I agree with anymore. that. I'm not saying we should never use predictive analytics again. I just think it's going to become uh, or is quickly becoming a new status quo and that this isn't a, a route to transcendence. It's just a new normal. Right. But I, actually, I was, I was very struck by, I think Christoph had a, um, Nicholas Christoph, who writes, who's a columnist for the New York Times, had a, um, a 2017 was the best year ever column. <laughs> um, and, and then he said, you know, 2016, it was, it was come following on his 2016 was the best year column best year ever column, which is to say that that there are fewer people in poverty now. There are fewer, um, there's less turmoil than ever. Like as, as much as 2017 has felt like a really um, difficult year, that in fact, from a, a human perspective, from experience of more people being better off than ever before, 2017 was a great year. And I think the idea of saying, well, we're just going to end up in this new normal where we are better at predicting the future and better at avoiding cataclysm um, as being somehow unimpressive or somehow underwhelming. It's like, do you great, think we're, we're better at avoiding cataclysm? That, see, that's the question. I feel like we find ourselves now like 50 minutes into this podcast. And I, the, I think the question I've always been wondering is just because we know, have we actually been able to avoid anything? And that someone, I don't know. Someone should really write a Greek play about this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That would uh, well, that would really help clarify it for me. Well, d- do let me know when he does, uh, or she, <laughs> she. I don't know if the the Greek female writers might be great. Man, they'll adapt anything for movies these days. It is high <laughs> time we got into Sophocles. It, it is. They are certainly looking for more marketable characters. <laughs> it's gonna be good, man. I think we did it's it. Gonna be good. I I think we have come to absolutely no conclusions. We have made exactly. zero. <laughs> I, I predict this will be our best podcast ever. <laughs> All, right. All right. I I predict we'll do another one next week. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'll listen to this one tomorrow. <laughs> this this may be the end of season two. I look forward to seeing you in season three. Season three, the best season ever. <laughs> the best.
All right. Take care. All right. Love you, ma'am. Love you, too. Bye. <laughs>